0: Section 1 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 8, July-August, 1897 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson The Venezuelan Boundary Commission and its work by Marcus Baker, Cartographer, U.S. Geological Survey. On the northeast shoulder of South America, between the mouths of the great rivers Amazon and Orinoco, lies Guiana. On the extreme east and nearest the Amazon is French Guiana, or Cayenne. Just west of this is Dutch Guiana, or Suriname. While the next division to the west is British Guiana, a colony of Great Britain, and this in turn is bordered on the west by Venezuela, one of the South American republics. Between these last two, British Guiana and Venezuela, current maps show a boundary line which, starting at or near the southern mouth of the Orinoco, for there are many mouths in its 150-mile-wide delta, runs in a southerly direction into the interior. This line, speaking in only the most general terms, is the now famous Schomberg Line. This boundary is in dispute, and has been so for more than half a century. It has been a source of prolix, and interminable diplomatic correspondence and negotiation, a correspondence couched in politest phrase, without concealing the earnestness, nay, bitterness, underneath. Proposals and counter-proposals had been made, but without success. Arbitration had been proposed, but until recently Great Britain had steadily refused to submit the entire disputed territory to arbitration, so the case dragged on for weary years finally in eighteen eighty six some ten years ago venezuela severed diplomatic relations with great britain and sent her official representative away venezuela then sought to bring about indirectly through the friendly aid of a third power a settlement of the long-standing and irritating controversy the matter was taken up by our own foreign office the department of state and correspondence carried on in 1895 between Secretary Olney and Lord Salisbury. Secretary Olney, in a document resembling a lawyer's brief, much more than it does the ordinary diplomatic dispatch, stated the case as it appeared to him and asked that it be arbitrated. To this, Lord Salisbury replied in two careful and most courteous dispatches, as diplomatists are wont to call letters, declining general arbitration. Thereupon, President Cleveland, on December 17, 1895, sent to Congress this correspondence accompanied by a brief but now famous message, a message of which, without exaggeration, it may be said that it startled the civilized world. After summarizing the correspondence and commenting upon Lord Salisbury's two replies, President Cleveland proceeded as follows. In the belief that the doctrine for which we contend the monroe doctrine was clear and definite that it was founded upon substantial considerations and involved our safety and welfare that it was fully applicable to our present conditions and to the state of the world's progress and that it was directly related to the pending controversy and without any conviction as to the final merits of the dispute but anxious to learn in a satisfactory and conclusive manner whether great britain sought under a claim of boundary to extend her possession of territory fairly included within her lines of ownership. This government proposed to the government of Great Britain a resort to arbitration as the proper means of settling the question, to the end that a vexatious boundary dispute between the two contestants might be determined and our exact standing in relation in respect to the controversy might be made clear. It will be seen from the correspondence herewith submitted that this proposition has been declined by the british government upon grounds which in the circumstances seems to me to be far from satisfactory it is deeply disappointing that such an appeal actuated by the most friendly feelings toward both nations directly concerned addressed to the sense of justice and to the magnanimity of one of the great powers of the world and touching its relations to one comparatively weak and small should have produced no better results. The course to be pursued by this government in view of the present condition does not appear to admit of serious doubt. Having labored faithfully for many years to induce Great Britain to submit this dispute to impartial arbitration, and having been now finally apprised of her refusal to do so, nothing remains but to accept the situation, to recognize its plain requirements and deal with it accordingly great britain's present proposition has never thus far been regarded as admissible by venezuela though any adjustment of the boundary which that country may deem for her advantage and may enter into of her own free will cannot of course be objected to by the united states assuming however that the attitude of venezuela will remain unchanged the dispute has reached such a stage as to make it now incumbent upon the united states to take measures to determine with sufficient certainty for its justification what is the true divisional line between the Republic of Venezuela and British Guiana. The inquiry to that end should, of course, be conducted carefully and judiciously, and due weight should be given to all available evidence, records, and facts in support of the claims of both parties. In order that such an examination should be prosecuted in a thorough and satisfactory manner, I suggest that the Congress make an adequate appropriation for the expenses of a Commission to be appointed by the Executive who shall make the necessary investigation and report upon the matter with the least possible delay. When such report is made and accepted, it will, in my opinion, be the duty of the United States to resist by every means in its power, as a willful aggression upon its rights and interests, the appropriation by Great Britain of any lands or the exercise of governmental jurisdiction over any territory which, after investigation, we have determined of right belongs to Venezuela. In making these recommendations, I am fully alive to the responsibilities incurred and keenly realize all the consequences that may follow. I am, nevertheless, firm in my conviction that while it is a grievous thing to contemplate the two great English-speaking peoples of the world, as being otherwise than friendly competitors in an onward march of civilization and strenuous and worthy rivals in all the arts of peace, there is no calamity which a great nation can invite which equals that which follows a supine submission to wrong and injustice and the consequent loss of national self-respect and honor, beneath which are shielded and defended a people's safety and greatness. This short message went to Congress December seventeenth eighteen ninety five, where it was read and referred to the Committee on Foreign Affairs. The following day, December eighteenth, the chairman of that committee, the Honorable R. R. Hitt, reported a bill, H.R. twenty one seventy three, appropriating one hundred thousand dollars for the expenses of a commission to investigate and report upon the true divisional line between British Guiana and the Republic of Venezuela. This bill was passed by the House of Representatives forthwith and unanimously. It was then sent to the Senate. It was on the following day, the 19th of December, referred to the Committee on Foreign Affairs in the Senate. The next day, it was reported back, debated, and passed without amendment. The following day, December 21st, it was a law, having received the signatures of the Speaker of the House, the Vice President, and the President. Thus, President Cleveland's suggestion on December 17th that a commission be created was four days later the law of the land, and made so with an unanimity almost, if not quite, unparalleled. No vote against it was recorded in either branch of Congress. On January 4th, 1897, the commission was appointed and consisted of five persons, to wit, Honorable David J. Brewer, one of the Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States, Honorable Richard H. Alvey, Chief Justice of the Court of Appeals of the District of Columbia. Mr. Frederick R. Coldert, a distinguished member of the New York Bar, who had acted as counsel for the United States in the Bering Sea arbitration case. Honorable Andrew D. White, historian and diplomatist. And Dr. Daniel C. Gilman, a learned geographer, president of the John Hopkins University. This commission, organized by electing Mr. Justice Brewer president, and Mr. Server Mallet Provost of the New York Bar as Secretary. Upon this commission were laid two duties. First, to investigate, and second, to report. Obviously, investigation was first, not merely in order, but in the amount of labor involved and in importance. In the early sessions of the commission, the whole subject was canvassed, and the work of investigation planned, organized, and assigned. Professor George L. Burr, Cornell University, a painstaking and accurate historian and linguist, was sent to Holland to investigate the Dutch archives. Later on, he was joined there by Mr. Koudert of the Commission. For assistance in the preparation of maps and in geographical investigation, application was made to the U.S. Geological Survey. To this work I was assigned, and from January to May 1896, gave to it such time as could be spared from survey duties. In May 1896 I was, however, detailed to the service of the Commission, and continued to serve on this detail till the close of the Commission's labors and the publication of its results in June 1897. When in November 1896 it was made known that Great Britain and Venezuela had at last come together and had agreed to submit their dispute to arbitration, the Commission found itself set free from the need of pronouncing judgment. As the contending parties had themselves agreed to submit their differences to an arbitral tribunal, it was obviously for that tribunal to pronounce judgment. Moreover, as Mr. Justice Brewer had been chosen as a member of the arbitral tribunal, it was obviously improper that he should pronounce judgment in advance of his sitting with that tribunal the Commission accordingly decided to withhold any conclusions it might have reached and to publish only its investigations. Thus, the facts gathered have become public property. The investigations undertaken were unfinished when arbitration was agreed upon, but the Commission decided to stop short and print in as complete and systematic form as time permitted, the facts then gathered. The facts gathered by the Commission are set forth in three octavo volumes, and an atlas comprising 76 maps. The atlas constitutes Volume 4 of the report and was the first volume completed. It is composed, as above stated, of 76 maps divided into three groups or parts. Part 1 comprises 15 maps, all printed on the same base. This base map was specially compiled and engraved for the Commission and is designed to represent the latest and best information as to the natural features of the Orinoco esequibo region. It is based chiefly on the so-called Great Map of the Colony, dated 1875, and published by E. Stanford of London in 1877. Various other maps were also made use of in its compilation. The disputed territory along the seacoast is so differently shown on maps of high authority that a compromise seemed impossible, and accordingly two different maps of the same tract are shown side by side on the base map. Map One shows various boundary lines proposed or claimed Map two the force of the savannas Map three the principal drainage basins Map four the geology of the region as far as known. Maps five to fourteen are historical maps showing European occupation at various dates from the earliest down to eighteen fourteen. These eleven historical maps, say Professor Burr, have been portrayed to illustrate my report on the evidence of Dutch official documents. As to the occupation and claims of the region between the essequibo and the Orinoco, and are an attempt to show graphically the conclusions reached by that report. It may be noted in passing that if title to the disputed tract is to be determined by occupation, these maps showing occupation are of great significance and importance. Part two of the atlas comprises forty-one maps, facsimile reproductions of the mother maps of the region produced during a period of about 300 years. Volume 3 of the Commission's report contains a paper by the Secretary, Mr. Severo Malat-Provost, on the cartographical testimony of geographers. The 41 maps mentioned illustrate that report and exhibit the gradual evolution of our geographical knowledge of the disputed area, and also the evolution of the various boundary lines. It constitutes an interesting and instructive group of maps and makes available for students a number of scarce ones. Part three comprises twenty maps of an official or semi-official character, of which twelve are from manuscript originals not hitherto published. The origin of these maps, their character, and meaning are set forth by Professor Burr in a paper in volume three. In describing the atlas, we have in part anticipated the description of volume three, which is devoted to geography. It is an octavo volume of 517 pages and contains six papers, the first by the Secretary of the Commission on the Cartographical Testimony of Geographers. In its 80 pages, the historical evolution of lines showing territorial divisions are worked out with great care, and the size of the paper inadequately measures the labor needful to gather and arrange and clearly set forth and discuss the facts therein contained. The second paper is by Dr. Justin Windsor, librarian of Harvard College, and it deals with the same topics as the preceding paper, but in a different manner. This paper was submitted to the Commission very early, its date being March fourth, 1896, just two months after the Commission was appointed. The third and fourth papers are by Professor Burr. The fifth paper, entitled Notes on the Geography of the Orinoco-Esquibo Region, South America, is by the present writer. It consists of a prosaic compilation of statements made by various travelers and explorers in the region as to its geography, with references in footnotes to the sources of these statements. All the geographic names found applied in the region, whether now in use or not, were recorded in these notes, which are fully indexed. Thus it is possible to proceed quickly by means of the index and footnotes to the original sources of geographic information touching any part of the country described in these notes. The last paper in the volume is a partial list of maps of the region, also prepared by the writer. It was hoped to make an exhaustive list, but time did not suffice for this, nor for the preparation of a bibliography of the region. Volume 2 is given mainly to extracts from Dutch archives. There are 353 of these extracts, comprising 662 pages they are printed in double columns the original dutch forming one column and the english translation the parallel column some miscellaneous manuscript documents filed with the commission by the government of venezuela close the volume volume i first in order but last to be published is now in press and will shortly be published it is to contain the report of the commission which however is not new to the world having been published may twenty fifth eighteen ninety seven as Senate Document Number 106, 55th Congress, First Session. It is to contain also a report by Professor J. F. Jameson of Brown University on the Treaty of Munster of 1648, and also Professor Burr's report upon what he found in the Dutch archives bearing upon the boundary matter. Exact reproductions of those Dutch documents with translations constitute the major part of Volume 2. Professor Burr's report, however, will tell a connected story of Dutch occupation and doings in the disputed territory, as gathered from these old manuscript chronicles of the Dutch. With the publication in the summer of 1897 of these four volumes, the labors of the Venezuelan Boundary Commission end. The controversy, however, is not ended, and its settlement has been relegated to a new tribunal. A tribunal of arbitration to be composed of five of the world's leading jurists. The commission whose work now ends, it will be remembered, is wholly a United States commission. The United States devised it, created it, and maintained it. And it did this to determine with sufficient certainty for its own justification what is the true boundary line between British Guiana and Venezuela. It is a high compliment to the character of the commission. That both Great Britain and Venezuela promptly and cordially aided it to the fullest extent by furnishing information fully and freely. Neither was bound so to do, and neither had agreed to accept its conclusions. But as time progressed, it became clear that this quasi or involuntary arbitration, if I may say so, might well be turned into an actual arbitration, an arbitration where all the facts could be sifted out, judicially weighed, and a just conclusion reached accordingly at the lord mayor's banquet in london last november lord salisbury announced that an agreement had been reached by which the long-drawn-out controversy was on its way to a peaceful amicable just and final determination an agreement to arbitrate had been reached that the action taken by the united states some eleven months before was a powerful agency towards securing this much to be desired in does not admit of doubt such is the prevailing opinion Such is the opinion of the Commission itself, which in its report says, A wise and just view of the case is that the Commission has been a potent factor in bringing the two nations into a consent to submit the matter in dispute to an arbitral tribunal. In addition to the influence exerted by the Commission in initiating the peaceful settlement of the dispute, the contribution which it has made to the scholars of the world should not be overlooked. The investigations in history and geography set forth in the papers accompanying its report have a value wholly apart from the case to which they owe their origin. A few words about the arbitral tribunal and the work before it must end this already too long article. On February 2, 1897, a treaty of arbitration as to the boundary was signed in Washington by Senor José Andred for Venezuela and by Sir Julian Fonsefote for Great Britain. It consists of 14 articles describing the precise legal and formal phraseology how the dispute is to be disposed of. A public copy of that now public treaty lies before me as I write. Let me summarize it. First, an arbitral tribunal is to be named forthwith. Second, it is to be composed of five jurists, two named by Venezuela and two by Great Britain. Venezuela names Chief Justice Fuller, and Mr. Justice Brewer of the United States Supreme Court, and great Britain names Baron Herschel and Sir Richard H. Collins of Her Majesty's Privy Council. These four are to select on or before September 14, 1897, a fifth arbiter, a jurist who is to be president of the tribunal. In the event of failure to do so, the fifth arbiter is to be chosen by the King of Sweden. Third, the tribunal is to determine what belonged to the Netherlands, and what to Spain, at the time when Great Britain acquired from the Dutch what is now British Guiana. Fourth, the tribunal shall take account of all pertinent facts, shall be governed by the principles of international law, and by three rules. To wit, a. Adverse possession or prescription for fifty years to constitute a good title. b the arbitrators may recognize and give effect to laws supported on any other valid formulation than adverse possession, and which conform to international law. c. In determining the boundary, if the tribunal shall find that the territory of one party was at the date of the treaty occupied by citizens or subjects of the other, it shall give to such occupation the effect which, in its opinion, is required by reason, justice, and the principles of international law, and the equities of the case. Fifth, the arbiters are to meet in Paris within 60 days after the printed arguments have been submitted, and decide the question submitted. All questions to be decided by a majority, each party to appoint an agent to assist the tribunal. Sixth, within eight months, that is, on or before February 14, 1898, the case is to be submitted with proofs, documents, etc., Seventh, within four months thereafter, that is, on or before June fourteenth, eighteen ninety eight, the counter case is to be similarly submitted and may contain new matter with proofs. Eighth, within three months thereafter, that is, on or before September fourteenth, eighteen ninety eight, the agent of each government must submit his argument in print. Oral arguments may then be had. Ninth, the arbiters may lengthen each period above named by thirty days. Tenth, decisions to be rendered within three months after the case has been argued to be in duplicate, in writing, and signed by the arbiters who assent to it. Eleventh, an exact journal of proceedings is to be kept. Twelfth, each government is to pay its own agent, and the costs of the arbitration shared equally. Thirteenth the parties agree to be bound by the decisions rendered. It thus appears that the controversy bids fair to reach its final stage sometime during the winter of 1898-99. End of Section 1